Well, good evening. Very happy to be with you all tonight. I've uh, titled my message tonight, The Acts Files, not The X Files. Uh, I realize I've, I've never done a clever title for anything I've preached, so I thought once in my life I'd do that, so there you go, let's get that out of the way. But as I was thinking and asking the Lord uh, to give me some encouragement for the body, uh, I realized something really amazing, because I take everything that we're going to talk about tonight comes out of the book of Acts, because it's such an amazing book when you read through it. And I was look, reading through Acts, and I thought, you know what? We try so, to do so many things, um, you know, in the churches in America to, to attract people, to make it something they want to come to and stuff. But if you look at the book of Acts, the impression I get out of it is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I realized the principles, there's unchanging principles that we can look at that'll help strengthen us as believers and as a church uh, because the, the scriptures say, Psalm 1989, uh, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. You can count on the word of God to be reliable when all else fails. What a weird year this has been. I mean, good grief. You know, you just like, you don't even want to ask the question, what's next? You just have to put your seatbelt on and know that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he promised he was going to take care of us no matter what happens in the world. And uh, Pastor Charlie talked about mandates. In a little while, we're going to talk about God dates. Because it's not what man dictates. When man's dictate contradicts God's dictates, then we have to follow God's dictates, no matter what man says. And so we'll talk a little bit about this, but I'm going to go through 15. Don't panic, it won't be that long. Short principles on how we can stay steady as a church and what, what makes up the character of the church. And the first scripture I want to read, it's out of Acts 3, 1 through 8. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. I love that. We used to do a song like that, didn't we? Silver and gold have I none, such as I have give I thee. The name of Jesus Christ, Nazareth, rise up and walk. Love that song. Huh? He went walking, leaping, and praising God four times, at least in the song. I love that song. I love the idea because it spoke to us of a God who had power and who didn't just look at people and feel sorry for them, but that acted through his people to see people's lives change. So the principle I want you to get out of this is we have nothing but Jesus to give the world. I don't know why we think we need to add so much to, to the, what's already there. It's got to be Jesus plus cookies, you know, Jesus plus entertainment, 
Jesus plus, uh, you know, smoke and, 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 and smoke machines. It's just Jesus. I have nothing. I don't think there's a time, folks, when, I don't have, when I'm preparing for a message or praying to do something that I have to just go to God and say, Jesus, I have nothing. There is nothing in me. And you realize what Paul said is we hold this treasure in earthen vessels. We're clay pots so that the excellence of the sea of the glory would be known to be of God and not of us. And when you keep that heart as a Christian, it's like, Jesus, I've got nothing to offer in myself, but you hold the universe in your hands. So whatever you need to do, can do through me to help this person or help my family or help those around me, give me that. Because when you've got Jesus, you've got everything. He is the ultimate storehouse of everything we need to meet the world's needs, right? The world has changed radically. I think since the year 2000, we've become a post-Christian nation. And I started talking about that, and a lot of my friends kind of giggled at me. It's like, yeah, right. And now they're like, what happened? I said, well, I told you what happened. We became a post-Christian nation. Now we have to not change the gospel, but we need to pray how to really do the gospel according to the way that it works. And it has always worked since the book of Acts. So we bring nothing but Jesus and we'll have everything we need. Secondly, Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. Old King James, I think, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Do you want to know the secret of power in these days? If you want to know the secret of walking with God in strength, not yours but his, then be with Jesus. It's so simple. The more time you spend with Jesus and in his word, then... It doesn't matter how much you know or you don't know. People will recognize there's something different in that person. Well, it's because you're, you're hanging with Jesus. And when you hang with Jesus long enough, he rubs off on you. And you start to look a little bit more like him. You start to act a little bit more like him. You, need to, you start responding a little bit more. So make that an ultimate effort is to be with Jesus. Because when you do, the, the world's going to recognize that what you have is not religion but it's relationship with the living God who can change people's lives. Thirdly, Acts 4, 19 and 20, but Peter and John answered and said to them, because they were getting in trouble with the Pharisees and the religious groups, and it says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. The third principle is here is we will obey God because we can't help it. What God's word says we do, that's what we do. I know, you know, there's 10,000 different rules being written right now in this city. What you can do, what you can't do, where you can go, where you can't go. You know, what kind of shoes you can wear. You know, I mean, just stuff. And you're like, okay, Lord, let me just, let me just get me, myself straight on what I know that I'm supposed to be doing. And Pastor Charlie is exactly right. The book of Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, and more so as that day approaches. What day? The day of the return of Jesus Christ. So the closer we get, the more the enemy fears believers getting together, and that, therefore that's why we must get together more. 
We can do it safely. We can do it, you know, with respect and respecting other people and taking care of people that are vulnerable, but do it. We cannot be in a place where we allow somebody in some high agency to say, you can't even sing. Are you kidding me? We will not be muzzled. We may have to wear a mask from time to time. We will not be muzzled. So we have to come to that point that we will obey God because we can't help it. We can't help but proclaim the things that God does. I can't help but tell people what Jesus did and what he's about. The world needs to know that there's a living God that's still alive, that there's hope. And it needs to come through us. So we need to get to that point. It's like, sorry, I don't know. You may not like to hear this. You may tell me I can't say it, but I can't help it. Because Jesus Christ is alive in me and he wants to tell you about himself. Acts 4, 31. And when they had prayed, the place they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So the fourth principle is they prayed and things shook. I'm asking God to inform myself you know, sometimes, and we have to realize, there's a prophetic element to what we're seeing right now in believers from the book of Daniel that I think we need to absorb a little bit and understand the warfare we're in. Because when it speaks of the coming one, the Antichrist, it says, he shall make war against the saints and wear them out. Anybody feel worn out? I'll put two hands up and a couple legs on that. Worn out. That's part of the battle strategy of the enemy. That's why we need to be in the presence of the Lord as much as we can to receive strength because the scriptures tell us that they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's a promise, but that requires waiting in the Lord's presence to receive that infusion of, of God's love and God's power in our life. But they were believers who, and so it's taught, hard sometimes to pray because it's like you're just tired. You know, you get to bed at night, it's like, Lord, bless my mom, my dad, and the dog, and, you know, whatever else I've missed, and I'll see you in the morning. You know, it's just, I mean, we're just tired, right? It's hard to just get up running and, and say, Lord, I'm going to take this time because I believe there's power in prayer. And you can see it right here. When they prayed, things shook. If we want to know how to change the, the things around us, how to see God move in a powerful way, then we need to know that first we have to pray, we have to seek God, and then he'll start shaking up those things around us and we'll see things start to change. Five, Acts 5, 28 through 29. And when they had brought them, the disciples, they sat them before the council and the high priest asked them saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? They couldn't even say the name of Jesus. In this name, and look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Too late. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. So here they are. They're back in court again for the second time. What did they do? They didn't go and say, oh, sorry, you know, I think we misunderstood. Yeah, that's, that's cool. We understand. We'll, we'll cool it. No, they doubled down. We have to be believers who are going to double down on what God's called us to do, not to back down. Number six, Acts 5.41 says, So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. 
You know, we've become a little bit too sensitive as believers, I think, and it's like we get really upset if people badmouth us or they call us, you know, Christian hypocrites or they say all this ugly stuff or whatever, you know. But, you know, we need to be happy if we get canceled. If the world wants to cancel me, hallelujah. When did we ever get the idea that people would be thrilled to death when we told them the truth about Jesus Christ? Did you really read about Paul and his, his uh, mission? Because most of the time when he went someplace and opened his mouth, he ended up stoned, he ended up nearly killed, he ended up whipped, he ended up being driven out of town. That's okay. It didn't bother him because Paul understood this because he was part of this group that they rejoiced, that they were counted worthy to suffer shame. So if you're getting, given, being given a hard time because you're following Jesus and you don't mind telling people about it, then just laugh out loud and say, thank you, Jesus, for including me in those who are worthy somehow to suffer for your name's sake. Number seven, just, I, I'm not going to read it, but you can read yourself this, the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was a very young man. They think he was somewhere between, I don't know, 16 and 20, maybe. I don't know if they have an exact age, but somewhere around there. He was filled with the Holy Spirit as a young man of integrity, and he became the church's first martyr. And I know I'm always preaching to the choir when I come to this church because I see what God's doing among the young people here. But I'm sad because there's so many places, so many churches that do not place a priority on youth ministry. And they don't realize they're really cutting their own throats. They're really getting ready to close their own congregations. Because unless you pour into the next generation, you're not going to see the kind of power that can happen when we just raise a bunch of young people in the Lord and, and cut them loose to do what Jesus has called them to do, like Stephen did. So we need to invest in that generation. Number eight, and this is Acts 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem for worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come and sit with him. This, the place in the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scriptures, at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached to all the cities till he came to Caesarea. All that to say, what an incredible story. And that credible story is about obedience in the moment when God tells you to do something. 
When God speaks to you, go ahead and do it. Look what he would have missed if he would have said, um, do it. I'm in a big crusade here, I can't be bothered or whatever. But because he obeyed and he left wherever he was at and went down to a desert, a place he probably didn't want to be. God, and this is the thing, if you walk with Jesus, God's not only preparing the way for you, but he's preparing someone or something on the other end to meet you halfway in your obedience to him. God may tell you to do this, and you're like, okay, I'm jumping out of the boat, whatever. God's already prepared people and things on the other side, just like he did Philip. He didn't know why he was going down there, but he went down there, and he found out why he was there. So obedience in the moment to God is so crucial in this hour. Listen to even the slightest whisper of the Holy Spirit if he tells you to do something. It's really important. And I love the fact that when Peter, uh, pardon, when Philip was done, and he just kind of disappeared, and God took him up and put him somewhere else. He just went, it doesn't say he was like, oh, what just happened? He just said he went back to preaching where he was at. Like, oh, that's nothing. I love that. That's the ax life. Those things weren't extraordinary to them. So obedience to the moment is important. Acts 15, 9, 9 through, pardon me, 9, 15. But the Lord said to him, I believe this was Ananias, said, go, go to Paul, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. You know, on a weekly basis, I get a slew of emails and Facebook messages and messenger messages and a ton of other things about from a thousand different prophets who are getting words from God and God's telling them this and God's telling them that. Don't get me wrong. I believe in biblical prophecy. Uh, I have spoken prophecy that's been from the Lord and I've had it given to me. Just because there's a fake doesn't mean there isn't a real. But I'm going to tell you how different real biblical prophecy is like this from what we hear today. Because I hear all these prophecies, God's going to prosper you and bring you into multitude of blessing, and you're going to be moved up 15 levels until you get to the heavenlies and are gifted with blessing. You know, like, what did God say about Paul? I will show him the things he must suffer for the things that I, for what the, the calling I've given unto him. I heard some guy, just another person that was being interviewed because he's a great prophet and what he does is he'll go up and see a person in a room and say, uh, uh, I hear the name Dave. Somewhere I hear the name. Oh, that's my middle name. Well, okay, and then that's his gift of prophecy. Folks, we used to have that in L.A. all the time. There were people that go on TV and do this gimmick thing with people. Test the spirits. Try them to see whether they're of God just because... You know, one thing I've told people a lot is if somebody has it on their business card that they're a prophet, don't listen to them. God validates his people. So the real prophecies, the real words sometimes that God's going to give us, they're not always going to be things we want to hear. But we need to be able to listen and to receive and obey anyway. All right. Number 10, Acts 9.21. Then all who heard were amazed... I believe this is talking about Paul, and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on the name, his, this name in Jerusalem and has, has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? Paul was, we forget, he was an executioner. I'm not going to say a murderer because he was given sanction by the temple to execute believers. Still, 
Obviously, it was a crime in the eyes of God. The church was not anxious to hear Paul. The church was like, oh, no, don't want nothing to do with this guy because we know he's already killed Christians. This is a setup. Nevertheless, Paul underwent radical salvation, radical salvation that changed the world. And my prayer in this hour, you know, it's real easy, particularly in the political realm. We have people that we pray for, which is good. And we have a bunch of people that we pray just would drop off a ditch and go to the other place. And don't tell me I'm lying. And you have your own list of people like that. What would happen if some of the people that we know are God oppositional, some of the people that we know are antichrist, some of the people that we know are being used to destroy our nation and destroy our world, what if we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and then they get radically saved and they end up changing a generation? Why not? But we can't do that unless we get our own hearts right. I have to get my own heart right. Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. And in this political hour, we need to make the right decisions, but we need to have a heart that's praying for those that are oppositional to the things of God. Who knows what God can do in that hour? All right. Number 11. This is one of the adventures of the apostles. It says, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God, but Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently on him and said, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. No, no, that's not what he said. He looked at him and said, Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. You know, I grew up in the God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life era, and God does love me, and you, and he does have a wonderful plan for your life. I like what our old buddy Mike Warnke used to say. He said he wanted to write a track that says, Satan hates you and has a horrible plan for your life. Thought maybe he could get some attention for the gospel for that one. Um, but, but here's the reality. With some people in this day, people are so twisted up. You say, God loves you. They're like, oh, yeah, me too. I'm my favorite person. You know, what have you got to offer me? And we just have to be willing to understand that we know that for God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But some people also need to hear a word of truth that you may not be willing to speak, but you must be able to speak because it may be something that is like this, directly oppositional to the satanic powers that are driving a person. But you need to be willing. It's easy to tell people God loves them, and he does. Don't get me wrong. I totally understand that. But it makes us feel good, and then when they come back and say, well, that's your truth, then you can say, okay, well, at least I tried. 
It's another thing when you're caught in a place and where you see something satanic in a person, you have to oppose it. I remember very clearly when I was um, doing street ministry, ministry in Topanga Canyon uh, with one of the, and it's funny because I'd just gotten out of Bible school, little segue here. I just got out of Bible school and I was fasting and praying and agonizing, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And I didn't hear an answer for days and then weeks. And then finally, my pastor who worked at a little church in a place called Topanga Canyon, California, that was the, the home of every, every drug addict and burnt out uh, rock star and, and uh, burnt out actor and every uh, murderer and every witch and Satanist. They just all got dumped in Topanga Canyon. And that's where my pastor's mission was. And he said, why don't you, while you're waiting for God's next move, why don't you come help me out? So I ended up helping him out and doing street ministry for nearly a year. And it wasn't until in retrospect that while I was waiting for that next move, I got the best training that anybody probably could have ever had on street evangelism. But it was dangerous. And there were times that things got really intense because you know, some of these guys in there had murdered people and wouldn't mind doing it again. And they didn't want to hear about Jesus. So we were sitting in this little seedy coffee shop bar one day, and I was sitting down with Glenn, Pastor Glenn and these other people, and this one guy, he was so stoned, and I knew he was a very dangerous guy. And I just started talking about Jesus to some of the other guys, and this guy just said, ah, Jesus is dead. And I felt the Spirit of God just come on me like a fire, and I pointed him straight in the face, and I said, Jesus Christ is alive. And I literally saw him jerk back like that. And he got up from the table. He says, oh, man, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. And he just ran out the back door. We have to be willing to speak no matter what God tells us. Sometimes it's God loves you. Sometimes if you don't stop it or if you don't straighten out, this is what's coming. We need to be willing to be obedient to the Holy Spirit even when it's hard. Okay? There's a little guy named Holy Hubert. You ever hear of him, Charlie? He wrote, the book was written about him. He was just this little guy up in Stanford University, and he preached straight truth. He was one of the most loving people in the world. But he preached the gospel. He'd tell people they were going to hell. He'd do all that. He got beat up so many times that his face was just nothing but scars and, and more scars. I had a lot of respect for him because he wasn't afraid. Like the scriptures say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And he wasn't, and that was a good example for me. 12, Acts 14, 21 through 22. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Some of you, like me, were brought up in the Jesus era where we were told, receive Jesus and you're going to have a great life and everything's going to be flowers and fields and it's going to be awesome. It took us about two months to figure out somebody lied to us. But here's the key, and I'm glad God gave me the scripture early on. It is through much tribulation that we enter the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't mean you're saved by tribulation. It means that tribulation is part of what it is to be a believer. Now, the fact that it's that way and that tribulation is what God has, that's, that's a part of our walk. That doesn't mean we walk around sad-faced. That doesn't mean we walk around like, oh, poor as me, you know, I'm just a Christian Eeyore. 
I don't know when things are ever going to get... We don't do that. We don't want to do that. And, and those that know me know that I, I have a kind of a dark ministry in a way. I have to way down in the, in the zero with a lot of, you know, demonic stuff to help people. And some people actually expect me to be that person, the hangdog. Oh, bother. I, no, because I have Jesus. When you got Jesus, you got everything. And if there's tribulation, so what? Of course. The scriptures tell us we will have, so don't be surprised when part of your walk is tribulation, when part of your walk is suffering, when part of your walk is getting beat up, when part of your walk is, 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 is being opposed, of having your plans fall through, of your expectations. And don't be surprised by that. Rejoice and say, thank you, Jesus, that you never change, and I can always count on you. And no matter how rough the road gets, it doesn't matter because you're holding on to me, and I'm going to hang on to you with everything I've got. And that that's how we can rejoice. And Paul said that the, the things in this life, the troubles in this life, aren't even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. You know, he's saying, look at heaven. Are you kidding? This is nothing. This is nothing compared to the amazing things that God's going to do in eternity because we walked in the way that he asked. Okay, so this is not the easy way, but it's the best way. All right, 13, we're almost done. Acts 17, 5 through 6. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren or the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned, up the, turned the world upside down have come here too. I love the fact that the disciples were so filled with the otherworldly reality of the kingdom of God come to bear on a sinful dying world that the whole world went what are you kidding what just happened here are you gonna bring these people in here these people have already turned the world upside down I want to be one of those people that God uses to turn this ugly sinful broken world upside down and bring the kingdom of God to bear and you should be that person too to not just let things go we can we can give up on the world we can it's easier right now I mean there's days I watch the news I watch everything it's like I don't really care you know some moments like if you, there was a song that we used to well we didn't sing a little short story okay just Little one. Um, when we were had a youth group about 30 years ago, and we uh, went to a church, a very nice church, conservative church in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and we had uh, one of my youth partners and some of the kids found a song that they would like that they would play for these very nice conservative people who invited us into their very nice church. And the name of the song was, I did not pre-approve this, but the name of the song was, If You Want to Go to Hell, Go Ahead. And it... <laughs> It did not have the desired effect on that congregation. But there are days where you think that. It's like, if that's what you want, fine. But we can't have that heart because Jesus bled on a cross. And when he did, he saw this broken world and all the people who were going to spend an eternity in hell. And then he turned to us and said, go find them. Go get them. Go bring them into my father's house. So we want to be the people who can turn the world upside down with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 14, Acts 19, 19, and 20, also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. 
The principle is when we clean house, the word of God grows mightily. And this is something every one of us has to do. Not just clean house with what are your possessions that you shouldn't be hanging on to. And I've got a whole list of things if you're interested. I'd be glad to send it to you because some people don't know they shouldn't have a kitchen witch in their house. Some people don't know they shouldn't have, you know, whatever, these little things in their, uh, in, you know, they shouldn't be reading astrology, whatever. It goes a lot deeper than that. It goes to the things you watch on TV. It goes to the things that you, the computer games that you might be playing that are full, filled with occultism. It goes to the kind of music you listen to. And I'm going to make a confession. I don't want to go into details because I already have had go before God and, you know, deal with this stuff, but there was a certain secular person that I had loved to listen to for years, kind of my own private, you know, person that I loved to listen to. Um, and then I found out that they'd gone public uh, a couple of weeks ago and said, well, if they hadn't have gotten an abortion, they would have not been famous and had all this wonderful music to give to the world. And so I've been slowly deleting every single one of this person's songs off of my collection. I'm still house cleaning too. I will not support somebody that does something like that. And you shouldn't either. So you need to go before God and say, God, what areas do I need to house clean? We need to have, we used to have big bonfires. I used to love that. Every six months or so, we'd have a bonfire and everybody in the youth group would bring everything they didn't want everybody to see in it. You know, a triple bagged paper bag and throw it in the fire. And it was awesome. And the word of God grew because when you, when you cut off the enemy's supply line into believers' lives, then the word of God is going to explode in power. So let's think about that as we go before God this week. What things do I need to be give, giving up? And the last thing is Acts 20, 24. When Paul was going to go to his final run, when he was going to go to uh, his final goal, which was to eventually preach to Caesar, he gave a speech to the church at Ephesus, and it's a very profound speech in Acts 20. It's a very heartbreaking speech because they really loved Paul, and Paul really loved them, and he just said, why do you break my heart crying like this? Because they were just beside themselves that he was going to leave. And it says also because he said that he would see their faces no more. It was very hard. But he gave the principle of his life that I prayed to make my own, and it's this. He said, but not because he was told that he would go to Jerusalem and he would suffer and all these things. He said, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So our final proclamation, friends, brothers and sisters, has to be, we will not be moved we won't be moved by anything. We won't be moved by people's opinions. We won't be moved by people's opposition. We won't be moved by life or death or powers or principalities or things present or things to come or any other living creature because they cannot separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's stay strong and steady and not be moved. And let's see what God does in the midst of this pandemic. Let's see if we have a, a God-demic thing where he just steps in the middle of it and he just pours out his, his gospel-changing power on this generation. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.